You're listening to sermons from La Cunada Congregational Church and Pastor Kyle Sears. Join us in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. in La Cunada for worship. You can find more information about our church online at lacanadachurch.org. So within the motto of the Goonies, that Goonies never say die, is built this loyalty and this resilience and this capacity to hope even when there's no reason to hope any longer. Their homes are being threatened and it seems that their parents have just given up, but the Goonies choose to pursue the dream of most kids, buried treasure. And the commitment to friends is what gives them this willingness to move into this adventure, and it's what I think gives the movie its staying power. Uh, it's part of this collection of 80s movies that feature a lot of Corey Feldman uh, going on these little adventures off into the unknown, uh, but, it, but it's meant to capture the power of friendships. Um, and it's one of my favorite movies growing up and something that even watching on Friday night, I kept um, nudging my daughter who was trying to do homework, saying, you gotta put that away and watch this, <laughs> watch this part. Um, you know, we have stories of friendship in Scripture too, and I want us to see how powerful friendships can be, powerful enough to save us and to heal us. This is from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem were sitting nearby, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding that there was no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they led him down on the stretcher through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this that's speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, and he turns to the one who is paralyzed. I say to you, stand up and take your stretcher and go to your home. And immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on and went to his home glorifying God. And amazement seized all of them and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen incredible things today. And so I, I think that one of the reasons I like Goonies so much is that the kids are so recognizable. We all want to be one of them or at least see ourselves in one of them. For me, it was data growing up. I wish I had all the cool gadgets and inventions, you know, pinchers of power and slick shoes and all that. Um, I think that I was more likely Mikey, you know, super earnest about everything and willing to try. Um, no one wants to be Chunk, known for his weak will and his clumsiness, um, but we all had a friend like Mouth probably, right, who just couldn't stop talking. Um, um, you, you throw in an older jerk of a brother with Brand and a couple of cute girls and a deformed giant named Sloth, and that's about as 80s as you can get. A Cindy Lauper soundtrack underneath it and outsiders and losers who know that their place is at the bottom. And the same is for our story in Luke. That Jesus gathers a crowd and the religious leaders grow cautious simply by the size of that crowd. That attention like this is hard to control. And political leaders from Rome know it. And so do the religious leaders that have now colluded with that power in order to keep things secure. 
Now, Jesus is healing crowds of illness. You would think that sounds more like medical practice than religious practice. But in Jesus' day, those who were suffering from ongoing illnesses or diseases or disabilities were part of a religious category. They were the sinners. God had punished them for their sins, whether those sins were public or private, known to the community, or simply obvious because of this malaise that they experienced. The body reflected the soul. If you were clean and presentable and strong and wealthy and of good health, then God obviously has smiled upon you. And by extension, you would want to be around people like that. Maybe a little bit of their religious faith and blessings from God would rub off on you. Maybe their proximity to God would make me a little closer to that source of blessing. And so it makes sense why sinners would often be outcast. But when Jesus would heal, often within that healing would be a call to go back into their community, to be restored to the people through whatever religious rites existed to prove that they could now be reinstituted into the synagogue, for example, declaring themselves ritually clean so that they could be bound together with those who would worship. Being sick or being ill, chronically so, was to, be loyal, was to be lonely because you were stripped from every other connection within the community. No one wanted to be around you because you were poison in the eyes of God, or so they thought. And we have similar prejudices today. We assume that billionaires must be geniuses, captains of industry, and not greedy, morally corrupted people. We want to be near them. We want to live in their neighborhoods. We want to maybe even personally know them, or even better, what if they knew who we were? God has smiled upon them. We can tell that just by the car they drive and the house they live in. And conversely, we imagine that the poor, or the homeless, or the sick, or the mentally unwell probably did something to deserve it. I mean, they could work a little harder, right? And so we have this instinct that we don't want to be around them. There is a sickness that exists today in kids that grew up in the 80s and the 90s. The Surgeon General has identified it as an epidemic of loneliness in our world, especially among men who are approaching middle age. But it's all over, not only in adults, but also in kids that within our nation, there is this uh, stripping away of places for people to meet friends and hang out and be together with one another. Uh, Even if we want to make friends, we find that it's virtually impossible. And so what we really need is the kind of friendship shown in Scripture where we don't mind committing a little bit of vandalism in order to be together. Uh, We commit to ripping off a roof if it means that healing comes to one we care about. And whether it's breaking into maybe an abandoned restaurant to look for buried treasure or taking tiles off of somebody's house, Uh, to find healing, we should be the kind of people committed to chasing down this hope that maybe the world can be a better place, not just for those who are already doing well, but even for those who find themselves on the very bottom. Because this isn't Jesus's house. Do you get that? And like, he's completely cool with the vandalism that's being done. I, I imagine that this is where Jesus is laughing and saying, well, that's one way to do it. Come on in, let's get you healed. This is probably actually one of Jesus's followers' house. He often would meet in the houses of those that followed him. Um, And he sees value beyond the broken roof tiles and to the people 
who are lowering their friend in front of Jesus. And so when Jesus is, the, the Bible says that when Jesus sees their face, he announces, friend, your sins are forgiven. And too often, we imagine that it is our faith or our hope or our capacity to do good that would move God to act. Just like it's our brilliance that makes us wealthy or accomplished. But no, not at all. Even more dangerous, and this is where Jesus is gonna get himself in trouble and begin to reverse the understandings of the people in the crowd. Jesus will name this man's sins as already forgiven and simply made evident by the faith of his friends who were willing to tear off a roof. It's not that he would be forgiven if he could somehow crawl his way to church every so often or get splashed on with water in the Jordan. This kind of faith and this kind of forgiveness does not require the confessions like your hand's about to get stuck into a blender and so you spill your guts like chunk for every little sin committed, not necessary in the way of Jesus's economy. Instead, Jesus is saying that this man who is paralyzed has already been forgiven. But if that's true, why isn't he walking? If God has forgiven him, why is he like this? How could God be near this man in this condition? God's not hanging out with goonies. God's not hanging out with sinners. God doesn't wanna be around the lowest. At least that's what people thought at the time. And Jesus knows you're thinking, yeah, that's blasphemy to say this because this is not how God works. And you don't just get to make stuff up anymore. And so Jesus is gonna call them out and say, I get what you're thinking that for many of us, faith is simply what we say we believe. And so we put a lot of work into what we think and what we say. But Jesus is gonna say that faith is so much more than that. There's literal deconstruction happening above them. <laughs> there is work to be done in our faith to express what we know to be true, maybe even what we hope to be true. I'm not quite sure that the friends knew if they were gonna get in trouble for what they were doing or not, but they considered it was worth the risk in order to see that their friend would be healed. It's quite possible that the friends of this paralyzed man were also in some way sick or ill or cast out. You know, Goonies gotta stick together. And so anyone can say, hey, I'm praying for you. Blessings to you, I hope things work out. Let go and let God and all the other Christian cliches that we throw out as empty promises so that we don't have to do the work of actually caring for someone. But what if, Jesus wonders, we were willing to do some construction projects or demolition projects at least? What if we were willing to carry our friend to the place where they would find healing? And so that those who had gathered would know that Jesus has the authority to announce this radical idea that even the broken belong to God. He says, stand, take what's yours and go home. And for many of us, the journey to church and to faith is not easy. Some of us have literal physical difficulties to make it from the parking lot with the, to the sanctuary, taking rests along the way on, on benches. But some of us have wounds of the past 
that will not let us cross the threshold of that space. That we're afraid that organ music and pews and hymnals and stained glass is also a place of judgment and rejection and I don't need that kind of stuff in my life. We imagine that if we don't already belong to the faith that we wouldn't be welcomed here to begin with. And if we confessed the deepest parts of ourselves that may be not as evident as paralyzation but nevertheless wounds us and causes us to walk with a limp, people would kick us out as soon as they found out. Jesus does this public sort of healing in order to correct all those misconceptions. Jesus will announce to the crowd while he faces the man and says, stand and walk with the assumption that if you are willing, if God is willing to heal you, that God has already forgiven you. The crowd witnesses what happens and it says that they are equally as amazed and astonished as the man who received healing themselves. That the act of healing this man from his paralyzation was as powerful for the crowd because they realize now that the broken also belong to God. That they don't have to be fixed first in order for God to love them, to notice them, and to celebrate with them when they look for healing. The message that Jesus gives in this act is that whether this man was healed or not, whether he was deserving or not, he was worthy of forgiveness. He was worthy of being restored and welcomed to God. He belonged in that place and proximity to Jesus. As soon as the, the ceiling parts and Jesus sees what's happening, he does not see the broken tiles and the broken people doing that work. He sees a human being in need of help. He doesn't avoid eye contact or the social scorn of being seen near him, but instead makes space for this healing to happen. And that is a radical perspective, that we can be forgiven and still not be whole. Or, or, or maybe it redefines what it means to be whole. That we can be welcomed as we are, and that glorifies God. That we don't need to clean up in order to make our way to faith. The basic idea here, I guess, if I had to sum up, is that Goonies never say die. Uh, that we always hope. And that we need to see ourselves as a church, as a bunch of Goonies, willing, whether we were on the top or the bottom to begin with, willing to at least associate and belong with a people who would name themselves as unwelcome in other spots. Broken and in need of healing. Sinful and in need of forgiveness. Lonely and in need of companionship. Because we are the ones who always hope, even if that means making corny speeches. So it's our time down here, I think is what we're saying. That one day we will find ourselves above all of this noise that we experience in life, but for now it's our time down here. So let's make the most of it by tearing away all the barriers so that people can know God's presence. That's my hope, is that we would be a people who have discovered God's presence shining in our life, whether it fixes everything or not. We sense God's love and peace given to us 
so much so that we overflow with it and make room for others, willing to tear off roofs if it's necessary so that we can know that God's presence finds its place with even the people that everyone else rejects. Amen.